Welcome to episode number seven of Metascam. We are a podcast dissecting scams one fraudster at a time. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of Metascam. We break down scammers' approaches, their tricks, misdirections, and other tools they use, and we present you with our direct analysis. This is Andy. And this is Peter. Coming up on episode number seven of Metascam, we will look at apps to protect yourself. We will also look at a historical spotlight on fraud dating back to 300 BC. And finally, we will have our first Scam Bounty Challenge. The information presented in this show is based on personal opinion and should be taken as such. Consult your personal attorney before making any financial decision. And hey, if you'd like to get in touch with us here, we've made that pretty easy to do. You can find us on Twitter. That is at the Metascam Show, at Metascam Show. And you can also email us at hello at metascam.com. So, Peter, we live in a world where everybody has apps on their phone and uh, you can go download an SDK, a software development kit, and make yourself an app for any phone that's out there and make a million dollars overnight. Yeah, there sure are a lot of them out there and one has to be a little bit careful. There are apps that definitely can interest us as consumers and even help us to protect ourselves from scams. But there are also some apps that are made to actually scam you. So we're going to talk a little bit about over the next few minutes, kind of how, how to do your research online and look at what's, what applications, what apps might be beneficial, what do they do for you, what are the differences in them. Uh, they're all going to come at a price to you, but there are also some associated benefits. So we'll take a look at those first. And I think... We could probably break these down as uh, there's first a number of apps that will help you manage your finances. We might call them bank monitoring services where you can pull together your bank accounts into one app and see your balances at, at whether they're in checking or savings, see your balances on your credit cards, seeing the transactions on your credit cards, being able to monitor and track your your payment of your bills, uh, ensure that your bills are being paid on time. These are all very good, good apps, very useful apps so that you don't end up with, first of all, uh, potentially damaging uh, your, your financial situation by missing the bill payment and also making sure that you're monitoring and that there's not a transaction that has taken place that you were, were not aware of. Yeah, a lot of those times that uh, you're just not in front of your computer your phone's always on you, you might have five or 10 minutes that you can just glance in at your phone and get a quick synopsis of what's going on with your accounts. And if you notice some, some bizarre activity on there, then it can give you a little bit of a, of a heads up. And you might be able to get a hold of your financial institution. Uh, some of those are like mint is a great one for that. That'll bring in a lot of finances into one, uh, one place you can look at. There's also bill guard. Identity Guard and Identity Force. Both of those will uh, help you protect your identity. Yeah, some of these will monitor not only uh, irregular credit card transactions, 
but they might also, some of these will monitor the use of your social security number. If someone has used that, if you or someone else has used that for some sort of transaction, some of them might even monitor if your driver's license number has been used in some transaction. So they're all very useful, but it's important for you to get on. If you, if you're interested in any of these apps and there's a lot of different ones, there are some that have come out there and grow and there's some that, that show up and all, and after a while just disappear because it's not viable for those companies. Once again, these are not, uh, these are for-profit companies that are offering these apps. Uh, they're going to have to get some return on their investment. Many times if uh, these are apps that are offered free of charge to you, those, those uh, companies behind those apps are getting revenue from the advertising that's taking place on those sites. So if you can put up with the advertising and want free, a free service, a free app that could be useful, that's great. There are other ones that will charge you a fee for using those and they can be a very basic low fee and it can be uh, up to uh, maybe $20, $25 a month for these monitoring services. So you really need to consider what do you, what are they offering and is it worth it to you? But I sort of have a mixed uh, feel about this. I think it's sort of like, should I just take out car insurance and then just drive recklessly down the road and not care? Because if I get into a crash, well, I know at the end of the day, the insurance is going to help me, you know, recover maybe from my losses here. Or should I have that maybe, maybe I can have that insurance or some measure of insurance, but more importantly, be I should be proactive in actually monitoring, not just monitoring my accounts, but also safeguarding uh, elements of my identity, safeguarding my driver's license, safeguarding especially my social security number, or do I just leave my social security number out? And well, if someone happens to take it, I know I got one of these services that will advise me and protect me, and and maybe they they even provide some uh, protection up to you know liability protection, maybe up to half a million or a million dollars. So all that does come with a price. But I think our first line of defense are us as individuals taking ownership of the things that we can do to safeguard because these breaches are going to be a continuing problem. And if we make it easy for, for our information to be taken from us, then we sort of, uh, we're sort of giving that up. And, it's, and even if you have these applications that monitor and bring problems to our attention, once again, that problem has already happened. We haven't really prevented it. They're helping us bring that to our attention early and maybe helping us with some advice, helping us maybe with some financial backing that we can recover some of this money and work our way out of the problem, but it's still a problem. It's very frustrating. And we're never really going to be probably brought back 100% whole to what we were before this breach happened. So I think, you know, it's up to everybody what they want to do, become aware of what's out there. But I think at the end of the day, we have to take better ownership of uh, our own information that could lead to identity theft. It reminds me of the scenario where the uh, the owner of LifeLock used to put out that commercial with his personal information right there in the commercial because he was so certain that LifeLock was going to protect him. And then he got his identity stolen. And so he had to use his own services to recover his identity, uh, but he never made that guarantee again. Uh, and so that was kind of interesting. You can't, I mean, every, everybody's susceptible to it. Uh, unfortunately, that's the world we live in today. It's a data-driven world. And since it's a data-driven world, there's going to be people who try to compromise that data. One of the pieces of advice I'd give any type of app that you have, check with your financial institution to see if it is one that they support or if it's one that is on their approved list. Some financial institutions have approved list of apps that can actually access their data. 
So make sure that you can actually use an app before you go out and grab it and then decide or find out that you can't use it. What a lot of people maybe aren't aware of is that most banking institutions that will issue you a credit card, financial institutions that will issue you a credit card or a debit card are going to already be utilizing their own software to detect irregularities in how that card is being used. I'm sure you, most of you have received it from time to time, a call from the bank saying, we're concerned about this transaction. Can you verify it? So they are using state-of-the-art technology to monitor, monitor your accounts already. Uh, does that mean that you might not want to supplement that with something else? Not necessarily, but that's already there. Second of all, there is a certain uh, limit of, of, uh, of your, your, your risk to those type of transactions because the bank, if you notify the bank that these are fraudulent transactions, the bank will make you whole and you will not be responsible for those charges on your account. So the amount of liability is really limited uh, as long as you do notify on a timely basis the bank that these are, are fraudulent transactions. In, in the case of, of credit cards, you can monitor your on your own your a your credit cards as well as your your credit score okay easy to do you can call up a credit a bureau report there's three different major credit bureaus you can call those reports up anytime you want for a fee or you can receive at least once per year a free re report from each of the credit bureaus uh and i reiterated what i what I have done has been recommended, and I would seriously think some, uh, recommend that some of you think about this. Uh, I was subject, like, like many of you, to the Equifax, and, but I had already frozen my credit before that issue even came out, and I, and I immediately felt, uh, well, that's one of those breaches again that's very frustrating, but we hear about day after day, but I didn't have to go into panic mode. I knew that if anyone was going to try to use my social security number or my identity to open up credit in my name, the fact that my credit is frozen across the three different bureaus is going to be virtually impossible for them to do it through, through normal channels. So these are different things that one needs to be thinking about how to safeguard your identity and not try to depend on a third party out there that's going to be monitoring your accounts. A couple of different apps you can get for monitoring your own credit uh, you have Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, and Quizzle. All three of those will monitor your actual uh, credit, uh, so you can check your scores at any time with those. You also want to look at other apps, like we talked about LifeLock. That one's going to project your identity. There is a fee for that one as well. Uh, and they, they do, even though, yeah, I poked fun them a little bit earlier, they do a very good job at keeping your identity protected. They'll, uh, you, they let you know anytime your social security card pops up, your driver's license number, anytime a credit card gets open in your name, it lets you know a lot of things. Uh, there's an app that I checked out the other day called a Scan Detector app, which has well over 500 of the most well-known scams in a, uh, in a database, in an offline database. So it's already on your phone. You don't have to be connected to the internet. And if something you run across and you go, man, that sounds kind of weird, you can automatically go to the Scam Detector app. And it's not going to, it's not automatic. You have to peruse through it, but you'll get a good description of the scam and you go, wait a minute, that sounds exactly like what I'm going through right now. So if someone showed up on your front doorstep with a particular money gram that said, hey, you know what? I accidentally knocked over your mailbox. I've put it back up, uh, but here is a money gram check and you just need to cash it really. And I know, look, 
the checks for 500 because that's what I had. I was going to do something else with it. I know there's not $500 worth of damage to your mailbox. So if you just go cash this real quick and give me the extra 400 bucks, we'll call it even. You go, that sounds a little weird. And so you check the, the scam detector app and sure enough, there's that scam in there. So you always want to be aware. And it's nice, a nice little tool to have with you. That's nice as well as a lot of times with these scams that have happened uh, over and over again. If you do a simple Google search regarding what, whatever the issue is plus scam, uh, if it is a scam that's no, that's been uh, populating around and being experienced by different people, that will probably show up on a Google search. We also mentioned that there are apps that will actually steal information from you. There are a lot of them, and I think uh, I mean one of the first things that I was like when I started like browsing for apps on my iPhone, and I, if I look for a particular product, all of a sudden I see you know, there might be three different apps that, that with the same product, and I'm saying. Why is it that the same company is putting three apps out there trying to mark, market their products? What happens is that there's a many individuals, companies out there that will try to sell knockoff products of every major brand, you know, whether it be Nike, Gucci, whatever, major, a major product that has a great brand name, reputation, and all of a sudden through this app you see that, oh man, there's a great offer here for 30% off or 50% off uh, the product, and you're thinking, well, that's very attractive. And even the logo that's put on that app, it looks very authentic. It looks identical to the logo that you're accustomed to seeing. You decide, well, what's the problem? It's coming from this company. You download that app, you place that order, but then that's where the issues start. It could very well be that they are selling that product as a knockoff and maybe you received that product and you paid 50% of what the purchase price is for the normal one and maybe you're more or less happy with it and you don't even realize it. But first of all, you're, you're receiving fraudulent merchandise and even worse, potentially, the person that or individual company that's behind that, that fraudulent activity is collecting your name, is collecting your credit card number and can be used for other transactions. Probably when you download that app and place an order, you're also uh, log, uh, setting up an account, username and password, which face it, Many of you, I'm sure, just like myself, we might use the same username and password across multiple platforms. So think about that type of information that a scammer might be obtaining on you, not only your credit card number, your name, your new username, your password, and they could really use that for other nefarious, other nefarious purposes. A lot of carriers these days will actually have built-in protection for app protection that will actually scan the apps that went in there. One of the more popular ones is called Lookout. And what it does is a couple things. It will go through and see if there's any kind of weird advertisements or weird permissions in that particular app, or if it's doing anything that's just out of the ordinary, or if it's on any uh, list that is a known scam app. And it'll tell you, hey, this is, uh, this is potentially a weird app. You may want to be a little careful with this thing. Or it's going to tell you, hey, this thing's been scanned and I have found nothing wrong with it. You can also get, at least for Android, one that's called the all-in-one toolbox that will do a little step further, and it does permission checks. Android phones have a lot of very nuanced permissions. As we get further and further into the versions of Android, we're getting more granular with permissions that apps can have. And you can actually go in and it's bizarre how many, like you'll have a, a game that requests permission for you to use your the phone portion of, you know, the actual making a phone call. And you're like, why would it ever need to make a phone call? Or an app that requests permission to listen to your microphone. 
Like, why would it ever need to listen to my microphone or or access my camera or access my my photos? And so these permissions you can turn on and off. However, there are, are apps like the uh, the All-in-One Toolbox and Lookout that will go through there and they will alert you that, hey, these permissions are requested by this app and they're a little unusual. So it can happen where your information is being pilfered from an app. Sometimes these apps will mean you're going to be looking at you and you just got to click on your consent. And there's a lot of small fine print there. We're so used to fine print, you know, I got to satisfy the lawyers, right? And so you just think, oh, well, if this has been written by a lawyer and if this is a reputable company, I don't even need to read any of this stuff. So you kind of like go through the motion and click on accept without really at the end of the day realizing what is there. And that's where you can really fall victim to something that even though they are covered their base, it's legal because you have given, given your consent you are potentially setting yourself up to be, be giving away a lot of information about yourself. One of the ones that I, that I don't like are ads. It's a class of apps that you may pay maybe two, three dollars for that particular app, but in the fine print, you're actually paying two to three dollars every month for that app. And you just don't look at it. You say, oh, this app costs three dollars. You're like, oh, that's a cool app. I'll get this for three dollars. It maybe does something functional for you that you like. And then month after month, when you don't even use that app because it did something functional for you at the time and you figure, well, it's worth the $3 to give me whatever I needed at that time. Then you realize a year down the road that you've been paying that app $3 a month and have spent well over now, what, 30, 40 bucks on this app that you've used twice. There is this particular application, speaking of apps, that if you sign up for, it will notify you of these reoccurring charges to your account. And many times, uh, we don't necessarily look at our statements on a regular basis and find, you know, item by item that there are these small charges that, as you mentioned, you don't realize it until a year later. Wow. Uh, but this app actually bring, you know, gives you alert. It brings those, those reoccurring payments to your, to your attention to see whether or not these are, these are charges that you still want to go forward with, or you want to be able to draw attention and maybe, maybe, you know, uh, desist from, from making those, those payments. Now, both Google and Apple are usually very good about any time an app is brought to their attention that is malicious, whether intentionally malicious or not, they will remove it from their Play Store or App Store, and it will not be available. They've also gone as far as other apps that are just do absolutely nothing whatsoever. Uh, I can recall a couple that were, uh, they set them to the most expensive price that you could actually buy an app for, like uh, I think it was $1,000 or $99, whatever it was. And it was a, a picture of a ruby. And it said, I am very rich. <laughs> and that was the entire purpose of that app was to be, you could say, I am this rich that I could buy this particular app. And that's all it does. And Apple kind of went, eh, you know what? That's kind of lame. And they took it off and refunded everybody's money because uh, there was no benefit to that app. There have been a lot of cases, not really considered this a scam, but it is something to be aware of where children will accidentally make a purchase, an in-app purchase, usually in the game, where they'll actually go and buy whatever resources that game uses. And next thing you know, they've charged $500,000 on mom and dad's credit card. And mom and dad get the credit card bill and like, who's charging $5,000 or $500 on our credit card? And it turns out to be the kid. And there have been a lot of court cases where the company's been found liable or the parents have been found liable. It's gone back and forth. The companies have made it more difficult for us to make purchases. However, at the same time, they've also given us the abilities to bypass those restrictions. So if we say, look, 
I require a username and password in order to access my account in order to make a purchase. However, I want you to remember my username and password every time. So now I, you don't really need it. It's automatically remembered. There was a case in Arkansas where a, a lady using an iPhone required a thumbprint in order to make a purchase in, in the iTunes store for whatever currency or whatever in-game item it was. And her child figured this out. And so while mom was sleeping, the child was taking the phone and getting mom's thumbprint in order to make the purchase. Now, the child doesn't understand what's going on. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and so purchases were made. That one, if I recall correctly, they did refund that one. But it's kind of like, really, mom? You, you, can't, you don't realize someone's pressing your phone against your, your thumb to get your thumbprint? Uh, but those aren't necessarily malicious, but it is something that can happen. You, and you don't realize it, that that's going on until you, you realize you, you owe somebody 500 bucks or nothing. One thing I'm a little bit leery of from time to time when I see that these apps encourage you to log into that app, they want you to log in through your Facebook account oh, yeah. or, 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 or LinkedIn or something else. And it makes, makes me wonder why or the risk that you might be facing with that particular app obtaining your login credentials from Facebook or, or, or any other site and being able to maybe exploit those. So I'm a little bit leery of using those social media sites to log into other, other sites. Uh, there's Facebook, there is Google. There's a lot of them that have the, uh, the, the authentication services that they provide, which in a way makes it easier because you don't have to remember a separate username and password for everything, but in a way makes it less secure because you don't have a separate username and password for everything. So it's the give and take on that one. Sadly, though, if that app is actually malicious and you log in with your Google account, they might be able to trans, you know, transverse your account and get some information that perhaps you didn't want them to have. A lot of times, as soon as you give an app permission when you log in via your Facebook or via your Gmail account, it'll tell you, hey, we're going to access your contacts and we're going to access this. We're going to access this, this demographic information. And it's like, that's a little overreaching. And if it's done for nefarious reasons, then they're going to actually be spamming everybody in your account. And that happens, unfortunately. What can you do on that one? The best thing I, that I do, I use the, uh, the Lookout app. That's going to tell me I'll use all-in-one toolbox as well. And those will kind of go through and make sure that my device is running normally, running the best it can run. There's also some other apps you can get like CCleaner for your phone that'll keep it up to date and keep it running. It gets rid of some uh, temporary files and kind of keeps it running in tip-top shape. So you can do that. You can get those extra apps that will keep your phone running and get the malicious stuff off of there. It's not a world that we live in that, you know, we're not going to get viruses and worms and spyware and a bunch of stuff like we normally get on computers and on Windows boxes anyhow. But there are some malicious apps that you can have on your, on your phone that do nothing more than download other apps. And now you have your phone filled up with apps overnight. So you just have to be very careful about that. Don't just willy-nilly download anything. And the biggest thing about it is to make sure you understand who you're downloading from. It's what you said earlier, Pete. If you're trying to download a, an app from your bank, make sure that that is the app from your bank and not some knockoff Chinese per, uh, app that is going to steal that information from your bank and then drain your bank account. Yeah, one of the first things you can do if there is an app for a particular product of a, of a name brand, go directly to their website first and see, is there, are they offering an app on their website where you can go directly to? And um, in some cases, they, 
some cases they don't all have apps that they're offering. And all of a sudden you find this one that's being available through, uh, through uh, uh, Apple and you're thinking, well, that's strange because the company would have, wouldn't they have uh, mentioned their app on their website? Should have. Uh, it's a very popular phishing technique where you'll get an email and they hope that you're on your phone when you're reading that email. And it'll look like it's coming from your bank or from Apple or some reputable source. It'll say, hey, download our new app. And then when you hit that button to download, if your phone is set to use external sources and not just the Google Play services or other or allow other software sources, then it's automatically going to download that and install it. And then bad things happen. So just be aware of that. Make sure that's out there and uh, or at least know it's out there. And don't just go willy-nilly downloading everything and installing everything. Just keep an eye out for that. An app that I love to use is the Amazon app. It's got a camera feature. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you can actually take your phone and through the Amazon app, it's got a little icon of a camera. Wherever you're at, you can you hit hit the little camera icon and it'll take it. You can point it at whatever you're thinking about buying and it will scan that item and then give you the comparable item on Amazon. I like to do this when I'm window shopping. I'll go to the big box stores and I'll bring that the app with me and right because it's on my phone and then I'll just scan it right away and I'll get whatever it is and I'll see the price. And hey, sometimes Amazon is cheaper and sometimes the big box store is cheaper, but whatever whatever it is, I'm doing the market research. And of course, I see how those folks remind you that you can support us here at Metascam by going over to metascam.com forward slash Amazon. That'll take you right over to Amazon and you shop just like you normally shop. We get a little bit back on the uh, the back end just for sending you there. And uh, we appreciate everything you do for us there. It helps us bring you the quality content that you've come to expect from Metascam. Now, Pete, you're bringing us uh, a history lesson today. We're going all the way back to 300 BC Greece. Actually, that is the first recorded scam. Although scams, I'm sure existed from the beginning of time. I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if there were cavemen out there that were scamming each other in one facet or another, but unfortunately we don't have uh, evidence of that. We don't have a record, but back in 300 BC, there was a case of an attempted fraud by a Greek merchant, sea merchant by the name of Hegestratos. Okay. He sought to insure his ship and cargo so he took out an insurance policy at that time against uh, any loss of his shipping cargo. Back then, that type of policy, I think, was known as something as a uh, bottomry. And it worked on the basis that a merchant borrowed money for the value of both the ship and the cargo. As long as the ship and cargo arrived safely and sound at a destination with the cargo intact, then the loan was paid back that was borrowed along with interest. Of course, if on safe delivery, the loan was not repaid, that would be a problem. The boat and the cargo could be repossessed. So in the case of our friend, our Greek friend, his cargo that he was planning to import was corn. And this is what, in a, what is recorded as the first attempted firsthand uh, case of fraud. When he planned, what he did plan to do is, okay, he first of all took out that insurance policy for the value of the, of the cargo as well as the ship. And then he planned to sink the ship. However, before sinking the ship, he planned to sell the corn, sink the ship, and keep the loan, and then recover the insurance policy. A brilliant plan. But despite all well-laid-out plans, what happened was uh, he was caught in the act of sinking this ship 
by his own crew. When this crew found out that he was planning to sink the ship, then maybe some of them were going to be going down on that ship. When they discovered that plan, he was, he was chased off that ship and he ended up dying uh, by, by drowning when trying to escape from them. So, uh, he, he failed in his attempt, and he also lost his life in, in his attempt. And this is one of the uh, interesting first cases of, of fraud that goes way back to 300 B.C. in Greece. And you know, there's still a lot of insurance frauds out there today that mimic this exact same thing. Uh, taking insurance out on a vehicle, faking a wreck, faking uh, being hit by a vehicle, and then trying to uh, make an insurance claim on that, which is just about what he was trying to pull off here. He's trying to exactly. collect the insurance money on the ship, yet still sell his cargo. He wanted the best of both worlds. Uh, and like you said, he ended up paying for it with his life. And I'm pretty sure we've seen some people who try to uh, force an accident. They'll try to slam the brakes on in front of somebody to get rear-ended and end up causing loss of life in that same situation. So this is, sadly, it's been going on since 300 BC. But today, at least, there are the, the insurance companies are very is savvy when it comes to those type of uh, scams or frauds. And they have their, their both an internal investigators as well as even hiring outside people that can help them investigate each and every accident, especially those that where there's a large amount of money involved and there's suspicion of a possible uh, scam being conducted. And they'll go at great lengths. And it might take several weeks, if not several months, to actually uh, conduct that investigation. And there are many cases when they go back and say, sorry, you know, we're not able to pay and we might even try to prosecute you because of because of this attempted fraud. I am one of the uh, the, the, the people in this country or around the world, if you will, who uh, have a dash cam in their car. Uh, I drive a smaller vehicle and uh, that was the very first thing I bought. I think it was the same week that I got the car that weekend. I had a dash cam in it and I'm on a third generation of the dash cam. It does a little more. It got a larger picture, cleaner, crisper picture, more memory, better battery life, the whole nine yards. But that particular camera or the lifetime of having a camera uh, on the front of the car, it's just forward facing, has saved me about uh, three different issues or different times. Uh, there was one time that I was in, I've only been in one accident, thank goodness with it, where uh, somebody came out in front and we kind of met in that middle turn lane on the road. I call it the suicide lane. I don't know what else to call that thing. It's just, it's in the middle of the road. And we both entered it at the same time. And what they told their insurance agent and my insurance agent was not the truth as I remembered it. And so I, we, uh, we got a, a call from the insurance company and said, Hey, we've sided with the other people. We're awarding them damages. I was like, well, wait a minute. Did you not see the dash cam video? And the answer, well, what are you talking about? What dash cam video? I was like, I sent it in on day one. Could you send it to me again? Sure can. And I sent him in the dash cam video. I got a call about 20 minutes later. I said, ah, we're going to reverse the decision based on this video. Because what, what they had told them was that I hit them in the middle of the lane. And the video clearly see, shows me going in the lane and them coming across the front of my car, hitting me. Clear as day. Uh, the other two times, uh, one time was uh, <laughs> I had gotten a ticket for running a red light that I did not run. And a car beside me had run the red light. And for some reason, I got the ticket. And there was just a still. You know, a lot of times they send you a video of you running the red light these days. This is just a picture. And I said, wait a minute. I've got the video from that day because I saw the lights go off and I hit the button to save that video. Here's the video from that day of the other car driving past. And they went, got it, no problem, disregard. 
and that went away. And then the other time, somebody actually ran me off the road, and uh, they came over three lanes of traffic and and ran me off into the center median, and uh, I followed them, got their license plate, had their car description, and when the, the highway patrol showed up, I showed them the video. They took a copy of the video and found the person within about two days. That's very interesting you mentioned the uh, dash cams because they're not very common here in the United States yet, but if you go on YouTube and you look for these different scams of, uh, especially it happens in Russia, apparently, where there are people that are just waiting for that car to come up and they will even walk in front of the car or run in front of the car and, and try to get hit by the vehicle so that they can uh, basically extort money from the individual uh, who, who hit them. Uh, and uh, that's where the dash cam can really be a saver when it comes to the, listen, I got this on film exactly how this came down. So not just the dash cams, but I think as a good security measure, preventative uh, to be able to monitor what's going on around your residence or in and out of your your place of business, having those CCTV cameras up there. And even though if they're a little bit of an investment and nothing really shows up for a year or two years, all it takes is that one incident where someone wants to sue you because you know they want to intentionally try to screw you out of money uh, saying something happened and you're reliable and you can go back to those cameras and that's going to save you and that's going to be worth uh, more than what you invested in those cameras. Yeah, the beauty of it is that your dash cams for your cars are $100 or less. You know, 50, 50 to 100 bucks will get you a decent uh, dash cam. The the one on my wife's car is front and back. I've only got one that goes to the front. Sure, hers is front and back. And they are well worth that investment. So I guess the moral of the story here is that uh, it's nothing new. 300 BC. Yep, 300 BC and counting, and uh, we only keep keep on uh, adding to the collection of interesting stories about how people get scammed on a daily basis. And now with the advent of the internet and social media, it makes it so much easier for the scammers. It's another resource tool of collecting information on individuals and targeting them and launching scams. And it also, on the other side of the coin, it makes the, a lot of these scams come to m- more to our attention because the the periphery of information that's out there where we can learn about these different things that are going out there. So we're much more aware of what's going on, uh, even though probably scams are increasing, but we're also more aware that they're going on, how maybe to protect ourselves. Awesome. So we look forward to more historical stories uh, here in the upcoming episodes. Now, Peter, one of the things that uh, your company, Strategic Risk Management, does is litigation support. Yes, litigation support. We provide a number of requirements that can come into us that will we request our, our assistance. And we can provide that type of a support and a timely response in order to achieve the legal outcome or leverage a time-sensitive opportunity for our clients. Our knowledge of uh, business intelligence and in-depth investigations positions us as experts to augment the client's case with the highest quality and forensic data mining, consolidated open source information collection, and sophisticated analytical techniques that go well beyond the traditional investigative tradecraft currently available. So SRM's methods of investigation, collection, and reporting can stand up to very rigorous rigorous judicial scrutiny, giving you basically the, giving our clients the peace of mind in complex legal disputes. So how can we help? If we can, uh, we can assist you in legal and corporate teams and mitigating risk and financial, and financial loss, 
through a variety of ways, such as detection and prevention of fraud, protection and recovery of your assets, reliable expert testimony during a trial, evidentiary collection, witness and affidavit support, discovery of hidden or concealed data, and, and finally, the non-attributable influence and uh, data seeding that we may be able to assist with. Now, that, that sounds interesting. I mean, it's, it's a lot of stuff going on there. But what kind of separates you guys from just your, your lawyers down the street? I mean, I'm in an office building full, full of lawyers who could provide much of these same services. So what makes SRM a little bit different? Well, the thing is that we have, uh, we have a lot of individuals who we have uh, connections with, who we have worked with based on our previous uh, reach in the federal government, people that have retired from, from uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, people who have retired from the FBI, Secret Service, etc. So these individuals have had full careers in their respective disciplines. A lot of them have investigative experience. A lot of them have, I mean, they have seen a vast variety of different types of issues that have been that have taken place, not only here in the United States, but especially in overseas environments. So when someone, when someone goes to a law firm, they might have very limited experience in the issue that's being adjudicated or that goes to trial. And so most law firms will look for expert witnesses that they can tap into. Uh, I mean, we, we recently were involved in the, in, I can't go into details about the specifics of the case, but it involved an incident that happened in the Middle East in the uh, oil, oil refinery industry. And it was a specific incident that that was a very serious one. It had an impact on the lives of a number of, of individuals who died, and they were there was they were looking at negligence on the part of the company. And so we were called upon to provide expert testimony, uh, expert witness testimony in regard to that case because we had experts who had that experience in the Middle East in that industry regarding security, regarding security facilities. And so we were able to come in there and talk not only about security in general and how to safeguard your facilities, but also sort of the modus operandi of different terrorist groups who might try to target a facility. So it's bringing in that expertise, uh, whether we, whether it's uh, here that we have it localized here in Orlando, Florida, where we're headquartered, or being able to call upon our vast network of professionals uh, who are available uh, worldwide. That's awesome. And speaking about professionals being available worldwide, you're going to like another conference next week. Actually, uh, get on a plane a couple of days from now, heading up to Syracuse to uh, participate in a panel uh, regarding cybersecurity. So the panel has like four different individuals who have different aspects of experience in cybersecurity. Some are more technical, some are more uh, focused more on the legal issues. I'm going to be focusing more on the ha aspect of social engineering and how uh, individuals will try to manipulate human behavior as a means of uh, penetrating uh, not only companies, the physical installations of companies, but also how can they penetrate into the, the IT, IT systems of, of uh, individuals. And that's also another service that we offer through SRM is helping our clients protect not only their companies, their reputations, their, their hard assets, but also their data. You know, it used to be uh, protecting your files, the paper in your files. How do I protect that? Now, most of that is digitalized and it's so voluminous, there's so much data there that uh, it is one of the most important assets that a firm will have. And we help them try to try to protect that, to try to 
come up with some measures that will be preventive, preventative of, of falling prey to someone who's trying to get at that data, whether it's someone that's working on behalf of a, a criminal organization that's trying to get this data and then resell it, or maybe a, a competitive firm, or maybe even a, a foreign government. So this is sounds like something you guys would like to take advantage of there. If your company needs the services that Strategic Risk Management is offering, you can give Pete a call. His number is 407-475-0154. Uh, you can also, if you can't get on the phone, you can send us an email. It will get directed over to him. That is hello at metascam.com. That will be directed over to him, and we will take it from there. The scam bounty challenge is upon Finally us. Finally arrived. We've got, uh, we have a couple. We had some that um, didn't make the cut. They were just too obvious. It was like, you know, we, yeah, we're aware of these. They've, they've been around forever. Uh, the, the fake magazine subscriptions when the person's coming to your doorstep. Uh, the hard water uh, deals when the people come to you. So a lot of those are, we, we're, we're seeing. Like, yeah, we, we're aware of these. But we do have three here that I'm going to bring to the table. And then we're going to talk about them, and I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to lean on you, Pete, and you are going to decide who the winner is uh, for the $20 Amazon gift card. I have anonymized these. This is contestant one, two, and three. No names are going to be involved here, so you you can't show any favoritism because you might uh, know somebody here. I don't know. So we're going to go with uh, contestant number one who brings us a penny stock press release scam. So what happens here is a company will submit a press release to the scam company. They pay them between a uh, hundred to two hundred dollars. That money then is used to buy stock and whoever the press release is for at the current penny stock rate. So if their stocks are going for a penny, then they'll buy two hundred dollars worth of penny stocks. Then the press release is submitted. It gets spammed out to over 5 million emails. People click on those. They look at it. They decide to buy. It's a pump and dump. The stock goes up. When the price peaks, there is somebody in the organization who sells their stock that they bought for $200, the $200 worth of stock, I should say. They then sell that at the peak, and it might now be worth five, six, seven cents. And so now they can quintuple uh, their money in that particular scam. And then, of course, the next day, that price reverts back down to the normal penny stock that it is. And then they wash, rinse, and repeat and do this over and over again. It's a pump and dump. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just an interesting one that's using social media because they they send out emails, they, they tweet about it, they do videos about it, and it's all just one little elaborate scam to inflate, artificially inflate the price of that stock. So that's number one. Number two, we kind of talked about here at the top of the show that they're already combating this one. Actually, about the middle of the show, we talked about this, and this is the hotel food delivery scam. So you check into a hotel. You see a delivery menu on the floor by the door when you first walk in. The menu looks great. The food looks great. The prices are reasonable. You call them up. You push your, You give them your order. Give them your credit card information. You pay for it. You thank them very, very, very much for that food. You're looking forward to your, your pecking duck that's going to show up. And then your food never arrives. And then you realize you try to call back and your number, it just beeps fast. It's, it's a fast busy. It doesn't go through. You can't get a hold of those people anymore. And now your credit card information has been given over the phone and is gone. 
And then contestant number three here is our online cheating bait and switch. This is a lonely heart contact. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. This lonely heart contact befriends a person. It's nothing sexual. It's just very friendly. They start getting information about this person. They get their full name, the city and state that they live in. Maybe some information that, about, oh, their spouse. They turn out to be married. And they start getting more and more information and befriending their target. Now, as soon as they have their spouse's information, which is really what they're going for here, they then start to extort money and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to send these, these pictures, these revealing pictures of quote-unquote me to your spouse and tell them that you're the one that requested them unless you pay me X amount of dollars. So real, recapping real quick, our contestant number one is our penny stock press release scam. Contestant number two is our hotel food delivery scam. And number three is our online cheating bait and switch. The, all three of them are kind of interesting. Um, I think number three, is, a variation of this could be very, very effective, but just contacting someone saying, hey, listen, I'm going to send my pic pictures of my naked body saying that I've been in contact with your husband and wife and they've been requesting it. Yeah. It'd be better if they were able to show that their spot, this person has been in a compromise evidence of a that person being in a compromise situation right i think that this one if given a lot of those adult websites that have been compromised there's a tremendous amount of data on those sites now that people could exploit those data to specifically go after individuals and already have in their possession you could probably easily buy it oh yeah buy that and then begin to extort people using that same kind of the same uh means of you know uh, I, I think a lot of people maybe haven't been just extorted directly there were probably fear that they could be extorted but I don't think they have been extorted but that could definitely be utilized uh, whoever for example in access to OPM could also find a lot of information on there to leverage to try to extort somebody based on some things that are maybe vulnerable that's been, been uh, that, you know registered on that site that site you know in a database and then be able to uh, to leverage that and use it for extortion purposes. And number three, I kind of like because it's the whole element of extortion. You know what I mean? Yep. But I don't know if this by itself would really work so much because I could, if you're not really getting real compromising information, I don't know if uh, to be successful. I mean, but it is very, I mean, I think it's probably one that would probably work the, the best as far as workable, yep. successful. Number one, I'm not that familiar with this whole type of thing of uh, the penny stocks and, and this whole thing about how, you know, how, how successful it is. They're using the social media sort of to inflate the price. Yeah, and, and maybe and, and, and make it more massive as far as their ability to get out more people in the realm of being scammed. So that's also, I mean. Uh, Peter, what is your professional opinion on which of these is the most plausible scam that could be pulled off? The one that probably has the most potential for success, not only in being successful, but also the magnitude of money that can be scammed in this particular uh, situation would definitely be the penny stock press release. Uh, because we're looking at a magnitude of a considerable amount of outreach of people that could be targeted using the social media and a significant amount of money per 
per incident and then it being able to be repeated over and over and over again for probably a long time. Very good. All right, so contestant number one will be receiving a $20 Amazon gift card, and I will show you offline where that scam is actually happening because uh, it happens to be here in Orlando, of all places. But contestant number two and three, do not be disheartened. <laughs> scam on. Come, scam, oh, <laughs> scam on. Bring, bring any, new ideas to us, and we'll be very, very happy to receive them and to evaluate them and, and to talk about them. So we encourage you. We encourage you and the rest of the uh, the, the viewers the uh, to come on and, and, and forward such ideas to us and give it your best shot. Yeah, and again, once we have about you know three or four of these, uh, the lineup head-to-head-to-head, to head to head, uh, we'll again bring another uh, scam bounty, and the winner will get another $20 Amazon gift card. And remember, folks, you are not alone out there. Do your best to educate yourself against possible scams. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors about them. And together, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is hello at metascam.com, and we are here to help. Until next time, this has been Andy and Peter for metascam.com.